0: woodside bible church we gather each week to pursue god by studying his word together this christmas season we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants god made with his people in scripture tune into our current series gift wrapped from longing to lavish to discover god's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel We're going to open up God's Word. If you would, just take a moment, let's pray, settle our hearts, and uh, we're going to open up God's Word to Exodus chapter 19. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for the moments we have uh, just for uh, a short bit, God, in this crazy busy season. Um, We just thank you, God, that we are able to stop, center our hearts, sing things like joy to the world, That 2,000 years ago, you brought joy, unspeakable joy. And God, we want to thank you and praise you for that. As we open up your word, would you speak to us? Would you empower your word as we look at your people, the people of Israel, and how our lives can be impacted the same? So God, would you be with us now? Use my words, use your word as it is alive. Speak to our hearts and our minds. We pray this in the powerful, amazing name of Jesus. Jesus' name, amen. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 19, that's where we're going to be this morning. We've been in a series the last couple of weeks called Gift-Wrapped, From uh, Longing to Lavish. And we started by looking at uh, the Noahic, or the Covenant of Noah, Last week, Pastor Alex opened up God's word and looked at the covenant of Abraham. And today we're going to fast forward because God continues to move forward in his covenantal uh, dealings. And so he started with Noah, he moved on and he he made a covenant with Abraham as you looked last week. And then he said he was going to bless the whole world. Fast forward the descendants of Abraham and you have the 12 tribes of Israel from the 12 brothers. And then um, they flee to Egypt. Because of a famine, they're there, and after a while they're there, and Pharaoh changes his mind. Joseph is no longer the guy, and they are put in bondage because he is afraid they're going to be too powerful for them. Fast forward, God calls this amazing guy named Moses from a burning bush to go and get his people on. If you ever want to read an amazing, powerful story, Exodus chapter three, where God says to Moses, Moses, go, Moses, go. I'm going to go do something great. And Moses kept giving all these excuses like we always do in life. And every time, if you want to just circle, God, every time saying, I, 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 I'm going to do something powerful and amazing. I've heard my people. And if you would just go and be obedient, and he goes down finally, rescues the people as a deliverer in god's name the people out of bondage in egypt and fast forward to exodus chapter 19 and it finds us where they've wandered in the wilderness a little while and they're at this place this mountain where god is going to form a covenant with his people now it's three months about into their freedom i think they're maybe a little bit overwhelmed three months that they've been separated from bondage working every day. I bet they still probably have the calluses on their hands from uh, working and from being enslaved by the people of e- Egypt. And you can imagine, they still remember the spectacles that they saw where God brought Moses down uh, to Egypt and all of these plagues that happened. It's probably still fresh on their mind as they walked through on dry land, through the Red Sea, and they saw walls of water on either side, and they're probably still haunted in their dreams as they know and hear, as they see Pharaoh trying to cross behind them, and God closes the gap on Pharaoh and ends his life. And I'm sure they're probably overwhelmed with some questions. I don't know about you. If I experienced that and now I've been freed and I'm wandering around in the desert, now I have some questions. Why, maybe? Why has God uprooted us? Why has God rescued and redeemed us and, and brought us out of this land? Why did He show us mercy? Why us? What is the plan going forward? Because it seems like maybe God doesn't have a plan because he seems like he's wandering through the desert. And what does it mean for us now to follow him in all that we are called to do? So as we look today and we continue, we're going to see how God rescued and redeemed and formed a covenant with the people of Israel and Exodus and see how it doesn't also speak to our own hearts and our lives very much so and how we interact with God, and how we go back and forth as we have been adopted into this amazing family through Christ. And so there they are at the base of the mountain, and they're there, and God tells them how he saved them, and he reminds them of what their plans are for them. If you want to read with me in Exodus chapter 19, and verse 1, we see our first thing. It says this, On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, and on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Raphadim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain where Moses went up to God. So the people are encamped down below, and Moses goes up to meet with God. Now the Lord God, the Lord had called to him out of the mountain, excuse me, While Moses, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and I have bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, this is super important. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the peoples for all the earth. Is mine. And so the first thing we see in all of this, the people of Israel, as God is here meeting with them, is that God saves his people to treasure them. That he he saved and rescued and redeemed these people so that he could treasure them. Now this, this arrival here at Mount Sinai is pretty uh, significant in, in the history of Moses and the people of Israel. It's kind of like a literary landmark, if you will. Because if you remember, maybe you don't know, if you read back later in chapter 3 of Exodus, this is what it says. He said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you. That I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt to hear this, you shall serve God on this mountain. So now it's come full circle. In Moses' story of following God and doing all that God had commanded him to, it now comes full circle his journey as deliverer for the people of Israel. He's now back on that same mountain where God spoke to him in a burning bush and said, hey, come and follow me. I've got something significant I'm going to do. If you'll follow me down to Egypt, I'm going to rescue and redeem my people. So now Moses ascends back up to the same mountain where he received his first call from God. And God meets him there with a message for the nation. And now Moses kind of moves into a new role as the leader of the people of God. He was a a liberator before, and now he's going to be a communicator for the law of God, for the people of God, and all that God has called them to. And so God gives him this message to share, and it's kind of a simple one at the beginning. It's just this, remember who God is, and then cherish the role as God's treasured possession. So remember who God is. Think back, remember who God is and what he's done, and then cherish this role as God's treasured people. So their experience here, now their new relationship with God is founded on a relationship of understanding what has been proven to them, what God has done on their behalf. As he says in verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And so this covenant that God is placing with the people of Israel it is birthed out of this knowledge of knowing who God is and this experience that they've had with God. And man, we saw it happen. We know exactly what's happening. So their experience is informing this. And through their experience, they found out, man, I am treasured by God. God treasured me so much. He came after me with Moses and came down to the, the place of Egypt and rescued and redeemed me out of that place, out of bondage and slavery. And they remember Now, you can be a person that's treasured by God, or you can be an enemy of God. Like I said, they remember very very easily, like, what does it look like to be an enemy of God? They remember the plagues. Just think about it for a moment. They remember all the firstborn children in Egypt that didn't have the blood of the lamb over the doorposts were dead. Can you imagine the screaming and wailing that night? And in all of this, God says, remember you know who I am. You've seen what I've done. And now I want you to walk in obedience. But it's not just the judgment that he says. He says, man, just remember how I bore you up on eagle's wings and brought you here. Like I did that for you. Just remember who I am. What I love is he says, he doesn't just say to this place, he says, I brought you to myself. Now if you just fast forward, I'll give away the whole, this whole part of the message. Does anybody remember when God brought you to Him? self that wasn't a working where you if you read scripture man you would just had it all figured out and you finally was like man i know i know what's up like i need to give my life to jesus yeah, you come to that realization, but that's only the working and the power of the Holy Spirit that brought you to the place for there was no one who sought God. No, not one. Every one of us was going the opposite direction, running away from God, but God chose to pursue us, love us, come after us, send his son to die for us and allow the spirit of God to woo us to himself, literally bring us to himself. He does that exact thing with the people of Israel and he saved his people to treasure them to literally just think about that, to treasure them. Like man, God just wanted to bring them to himself that he might love on them and treasure them. And then out of that, he calls for obedience. He says, respond to the salvation that you've experienced in bringing you out of Egypt and now walk in obedience. I love it. As I was reading, one one commentator said this, the Lord's past provision should be the basis for Israel's future decisions. The Lord's past provisions should be the basis for Israel's future decisions, man. And that's just for us as well. I mean, you think about it, why do I obey Jesus? Just real quickly, this helps us and informs us, man, I don't obey Jesus so that he'll love me. Maybe you've experienced, if you're joining us online, you've experienced some form of religion that says, man, if you do X, Y, and Z, God will rescue you. Or one day it'll all work out when you stand before God. That's not what you find in the scriptures. That's actually anti God, that's, that's religion. That's not a relationship with Jesus. What's different is what we see here, that God, before calling them to obedience, went after them, rescued them, redeemed them, and rescued them out of Egypt. And now out of that, he says, man, I'm, 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 I'm forming a covenant. Now walk in obedience. Man, that is our story as followers of Jesus. God came after us. He rescued us. He redeemed us. And then he calls, he says, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. If you love me, you'll follow me. Make sure we always have that in correct order. It's not, if you follow me, I'll love you. It's that if we are in Christ, we will follow out of a heart of love that God treasures his people. He protects them. He leads them. He defends them. And all of that there is treasured possession. Can I ask you like, what's, what's a treasured possession to you? Think about it for a minute you have something that's super valuable to you, and it might even seem insignificant to other people. I was was thinking about this this week. I don't have maybe a, a unique thing. Maybe I do. I just haven't thought of it, but it's so funny. I turned around in my office as I was preparing for the message this week and thinking about this, and I looked around, and I saw a note on my fridge. And it's been there for a long time, I think, since I've been back here at Lake Orion. And it just says this, Dear Daddy, spelled wrong, I love you so much. I hope you had a good time with your friends. And it's a Christmas card from my daughter from about five or six years ago. And I try to hold on to as many of these as possible. I don't know about you, if you're, a, if you're a parent, but there's so many of them. But this one just always meant something to me. So I have it hanging in my refrigerator in my office because I always want to see that and remember it. And it seems super insignificant. It's super, maybe it's just it's just a card. They wrote maybe a bunch of them to me, but this one sticks out. And it, I just love reading that misspelled word. And I never want to forget that, that daddy with only one D. Dear daddy, I love you so much much what's amazing is a possession finds its value in the nature of the one who possesses it the value of a possession is found in the one who owns it to you i might give this to you be like that's your daughters i'll throw it away it means nothing but to me it means the world to me because that's my daughter and that's what he's saying here is that man when god saves his people he treasures them And it's something quite amazing because he takes an inconsequential little piece of paper and he makes it into an eternal treasure of his. That's your story. That's my story. That's the story of the covenant with Israel is that he takes an insignificant people and brings them out of bondage and makes them significantly treasured in him. Man, if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, I just want to be able to tell you, if you're online and you don't know Jesus, I want to be able to tell you that you can be a treasure of God. Through Christ's blood, through what Christ came and did and fulfilled all of these covenants, you can be a treasured possession of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus if you will place your faith and trust in him. I mean, I, I don't feel as though uh, it would be remiss of me maybe not to say that even those that are here today that you are Call yourself a follower of Jesus, and you are a follower of Jesus, or you're joining us online, and I'll tell you today, I just want to remind you of your treasured uh, identity. That, man, you may be going through a season where you don't feel treasured. You don't feel like God is with you. Can I tell you, you are so treasured by God that he sent his son to give his life for you and rescue you and redeem you back to himself. You are a treasured Possession your identity rests in the fact that you are God's treasured possession. No matter what's going on in life, no matter what loved one we lost, no matter what job status we have, no matter where we're at financially, your identity is rooted in the fact that you are loved and treasured by God. And you are his child for his possession. What's amazing as you look at this is that when you become a treasured possession of God, it is not a static engagement. It is not a sitting, staring into the eyes of God for all of eternity and waiting for Jesus to come back. No, it's something much different when you read this and many other passages that God equips his people to minister. God equips his people to minister. Look at verse six, just the first couple words of verse six. And you shall be my kingdom of priests. That's interesting. And th- you shall become my kingdom of priests. Now, this is, this is really significant. Here, God is calling the people of Israel to a greater purpose, something greater and more fulfilling. He says, kingdom of priests. It's a statement of the manner in which God will use Israel in respect to the rest of the nations. It's, it's, a, it's a statement in which God is giving them their calling in what God is calling them to do as his people. And here, it's a fulfillment of his earlier promise, what we looked at last week with Abraham. Remember the the covenant with Abraham, he was going to make a people and a great name from him. And the whole world was going to be blessed by all of his children, as many as the stars in the sky. And so here we see partial fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant as he's launching forward this kingdom of priests into the world, that all of the people of the world will be blessed Through him. It shows precisely how God intends to actually fulfill the promise to Abraham a people, a priesthood. Here's the deal this is what he is saying to them. The way in which priests would function with Israel is the way that the people of God, the Israelites, were to function with the rest of the nations. They were going to go out doing unique duties and representing God and speaking on behalf of God that other people might be able to experience that. I'll just word it this way. Israel's assignment from God involved intermediation. Do you know what I mean by that? It involved intermediation, that they were between God. They were God's representatives in the world. Hear me on this, for them and then for us as well, they were not a people unto themselves, enjoying their special relationship with God and paying no attention to the rest of the world. Rather, they were to represent him to the rest of the world in an attempt that the rest of the world would n- come to know him. It wasn't a relationship unto themselves, that they just sat around and said, man, we're just going to live here, we're just going to do this. We're the people of God, we have a relation with God, we have it all together. Rather, God says, no There's something much greater that I have for you. He called them out of Israel Israel or Egypt because he loved them and he treasured them and he called them and he chose them, but it doesn't end there. Their freedom and their privilege of relationship with him as treasured possession carried a purpose that they were called to use their freedom and the relationship to represent God in the rest of the world. Do you know that this is what God has been looking for throughout all of scripture? Do you ever notice trends in scripture? I would would tell you to look for them because there's a a divine narrative in scripture and it's not just one, you, you pull on a verse, your verse of the day, and it speaks to you. That's fine, I'm not, it's okay, it's not great. But there's a better way to read scripture, not just your verse of the day, read scripture. There's a divine narrative that happens. If you go back to the very beginning, God has always been about two things. Two things, relationship and representation. In the very beginning, you go back to Adam and Eve. God has this amazing relationship. He's walking with them in the cool of the day. And he says, go be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with all of my people. It's before sin enters. Then you remember, God started over. We started with Noah a couple weeks ago. And with Noah, after he gets off the boat, God says the same command, be fruitful. And he had this amazing relationship with Noah, right? It says that he kind of like walked with him. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, relationship and representation. He comes to Abraham and he forms this covenant with him. He has this beautiful relationship with him. And then he says, man, hey, through you, I'm going to fill the world and bless the world. And you're going to have so many descendants, the, the, st- the sky, it'll be like looking at the sky, relationship representation comes to the people of israel and he says man i'm going to be your god and you're going to be my people now i've rescued you and redeemed you and you're my treasured possession relationship now i'm sending you out as a kingdom of priests to represent me in the world representation and relationship fast forward through the lineages we're going to look at david next week and and the davidic covenant you fast all the way forward to jesus what are the two major commands from christ Anybody? Love God and love one another. Now, if you pair those together, that is the greatest commandment. Now, do you know what the Great Commission is? Two of the most important things in all of Scripture for us as followers of Jesus. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations everywhere. This is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Relationship and representation. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and go and make more disciples. Disciples. Fill the earth. Be my kingdom of priests in the world, which we'll get there in a moment. And God's prepared you for this. He's prepared this for us. He's been looking for this through all of time, through all of scripture. And in Ephesians, he even says, man, I have prepared these works for you to walk in every single day. And I've uniquely equipped you and gifted you by the power of the Holy Spirit to do this and fulfill this. Oftentimes, we get hung up on one or the other. I would say most believers today treasure, rest in, and sit down in their relationship with God, but we do a pretty poor job of representing God. We, we sit down and we, we rest in the fact, that I'm once saved, always saved. I am, I am bought by the blood of Jesus and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come home. And many times we don't do the best job of representing God in the world. Sharing the gospel making disciples, that more people would come into the kingdom of God, that it wouldn't just be a static thing that we gather together to lift up the name of Jesus, but we would engage the world and represent Jesus well in the world as a kingdom of priests, as we're going to see in a moment. So what are you doing with the gifts that God has given you as he's called you out? Just like the people of Egypt, the Passover, the Passover, What they celebrated at the last communion with Jesus is just a picture of the exodus, what we're talking about today. And then Jesus fulfills it all with him dying on the cross and his blood covering us, which rescues and redeems us. And he calls us to follow in their footsteps. Now look with me in six B as we see the last thing that God knits his people into a holy community in Exodus 19 six, and you shall be my kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, He's knitting a community, a holy community together because he says this term, holy nation. This is a major milestone in the people of Israel. We think of, of nation as a fixed asset, right? Like, oh, the America's a nation or nations. We don't, they're not moving pieces, right? But this is the first time that the people of Israel are becoming a nation. Before this, it was a person, a grandson of Abraham, and he had 12 sons. And then from that, yeah, the nation is birth, but it starts here. There's a new development in the, in the community of Israel that God is forming a community. He's not informing an individual. He's forming a community. That's why I love what we're talking about today with our video is groups. That's why we're not just about gathering here where we don't know each other super well. And we can exit and enter and go about our business and go out and do life on our own. No, about a, forming a community that you do life with every day to be able to impact the world for Jesus. If they were to represent the world as a holy, or a kingdom of priests, they must be a nation, and God forms them together in this moment. They'll be defined by the law that God is giving, he's calling them to carry out, and they're going to be a royal priesthood in the places around them. But here's the deal, what we have to wrestle with is Israel failed, didn't they? I mean, if you ever read the Testament, read the major, minor prophets, read all of that. I know sometimes it'd be cumbersome, but it's good. It's amazing. It's like reading the Chronicles of Narnia in the Old Testament. But Israel failed. They didn't live a separate and holy life. They didn't call all the other nations to come and follow God. They actually failed. Instead, they went into exile. So how is God's plan of redemption of the world going to be accomplished if Israel fails? Well, I'm glad you asked. And this is what I said in such a beautiful picture of us. We find the answer in 1 Peter 2.9. Now, the term kingdom of priests appears only one point at one point in the entire Old Testament. One point. So if Peter here is alluding to an Old Testament passage, he has to be alluding to Exodus 19.6, seeing the fulfillment of the Mosaic covenant in the church through us that Jesus through us, Christ saves us, saves the nations out of darkness into marvelous light. And that's what we see here is our main point of the sermon, is that God saves us out of darkness into marvelous light, fulfilling the Mosaic covenant. I want to read it real quick. First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race. See if this sounds familiar. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Now here's the deal: Israel, they did not obey God's voice. They did not obey the covenant. They got taken off into exile. But what's amazing is that God sent a new Moses. He saw a new Redeemer who came on the scene from God, and he fulfilled all of God's commandments perfectly. Man, Matthew chapter five is significant. Another literary monument or, or marker where Jesus was to do. He climbs up on a mountain. And he shares a new law and he says, you've heard it said this, but I say this, that Jesus in that moment is fulfilling all of Moses. He's fulfilling all of Israel. He comes as a new moment, Moses, a new Israel, a perfect one. And he builds a kingdom of priests, a holy nation to go out and represent him well in the world. And that's what we are called to as the church. We'd have a longing and loving, beautiful relationship with God as his treasured possession. But now we have a new mediator between us and God. It doesn't have to be Moses. We have a covenant through Christ's blood, a picture of what Moses experienced in Exodus, one that perfectly followed every law and all commandments of God and made a way for you and me have a relationship with God Himself for all of time. And He calls us to walk in marvelous light. And today, can I just encourage you know, if you know Jesus, you are a treasured possession of God. But if you know Jesus, live like a treasured possession of God. If you don't know Jesus, know that you can be. Treasured possession of God. And God will give you a purpose to walk in newness of light, walking in marvelous light as we see here. This is the beauty of what comes at Christmas, that Jesus comes on the scene, not just so that we could celebrate Christmas, not just so that we could have a great time in December. No, he comes on the scene to fulfill all of the covenants we're reading about, all of the Old Testament promises as they are starting to be fulfilled on Christmas morning and we get to experience them through Jesus. And know that you're, possess- you're a treasured possession my God. And let's live like that as we have a beautiful relationship with God May we represent him well in the world around us as his treasured possession in this season. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.